from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. We continue to celebrate the Ag States of America. And so cheers to that. Why funny man Charlie Behrens is raising a glass to Montana. As the plains get hit by severe weather, causing dust storms. There were times where you couldn't see 10 feet in front of your face if you went by certain fields. And tornadoes. This is uh, quite an early uh, wake up call. The possible impact on the winter wheat crop right now on Agnet. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. A winter storm tearing across the nation to start the week. Especially hard hit the Plains states. Multiple tornadoes touched down in the region in Norman, Oklahoma. A tornado caused down power lines and road closures. Two tornadoes were reported in Kansas on Sunday, leaving homes in the area destroyed. Traditionally, the Southern Plains and Tornado Alley, if you will, doesn't really start to come alive with these tornadoes and these severe weather outbreaks until maybe March, uh, especially April and May. That's the you know peak tornado severe season here uh, in the Southern Plains. But, you know, so this is a uh, quite an early uh, wake up call. This storm system started in California, where parts of Southern California saw a rare storm that dumped massive amounts of snow in the area. Huge snow totals were seen throughout the region, including Mountain High, which recorded 93 inches of snow through Sunday morning. Rain was dumped on other parts of California. The storm leaving the ground so eroded, this RV fell into the Valencia River. While in Texas, high winds ushered in dust. Quentin Shield Knight lives in Spearman, Texas, an area that's seen extreme and exceptional drought. And then came the high winds over the weekend, making it look like a dust bowl. Winds clocked in at 114 miles per hour in Memphis, Texas. Uh, even before the storms built up behind all that wind, uh, there was just significant dust in the air, high, extremely high winds. You had to be careful if you were in a high-profile vehicle, if you were driving. If you came around a corner or something, like if you drove by next to a set of bins when you came around the corner, you'd better be hanging on to the steering wheel pretty good. Now, Shield Knight says there are already concerns about the outlook for the spring crop. He said he is now thinking about switching some of his acres of corn to sorghum. Another big concern, how the winter wheat crop fared during all of this. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, in Texas, there are growing fears about winter wheat abandonment. That's right, Clinton. The latest monthly winter wheat ratings in Texas were only 14% good to excellent, with 52% of the crop in port of very poor condition. Now, that means some of those acres were coming out of dormancy and disastrous condition even before this weekend's storm. Sherman, Texas farmer Quentin Shield Knight also produces dryland winter wheat. He says crop insurance adjusters will be assessing fields this week, but winter wheat abandonment on dryland acres could be 80% in his area. So he'll chisel the crop under. I would say the dryland wheat's probably done. I would say the static electricity generated by that storm yesterday is probably going to be rather significant. Uh, there's guys today that's going to have to probably go out and we're going to have to chisel some fields. Meanwhile, Kansas City winter wheat prices continue to see pressure as other areas of the HRW belt receive rains over the weekend. Although market analysts say it's too early to be pulling out weather premium as the most important determinant of wheat yields is the weather when the crop comes out of dormancy. Uh, people take the current crop condition ratings with a bit of salt. They take current conditions with a bit of salt. 
and they're going to want to see what happens uh, over the course of April and May, because that is going to be the key period of time for uh, determining what our wheat yields are ultimately going to be in the southern plains. He says the crop went into dormancy with historically low crop ratings, and while some of the major wheat states like Oklahoma and Kansas have received moisture recently, it has not been widespread or drought breaking in all areas. In fact, the latest drought monitor still shows that around 57% of the winter wheat crop in the U.S. is in some stage of drought, with the southwestern plains still showing very little improvement. And that storm is continuing to push east, but the high wind concerns remain in Oklahoma and Texas. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us with the very latest. Chuck. Well, it's going to be an active week across the country. Take a look here just around the country for Tuesday and into Wednesday. Of course, we had the winter storm over in the northeast. Then this ejects out of the northern Rockies and puts a little rainfall down on the Chicagoland area overnight into early Wednesday morning. Then Los Angeles back at it with more rain and snow up in the mountains and along the frontal boundary down in the southeast over towards Atlanta, Memphis, Jackson, more rain showers. Wow, what a busy week and then another big storm later in the week. And check this out. Check this video from Rayleigh Silhan of Morton, West Texas. She reports top winds hit 78 miles per hour. Just blinding dust, period. That's all you can see. Basically, you can't see anything. Okay, all of your full forecasts coming up. The latest Catalan feed report shows the herd is continuing to shrink. The report showing cattle on feed totaling 11.7 million head, down 4%. Placements into feedlots during January totaled 1.93 million head. That's also 4% below 2022. Marketings of fed cattle during January totaled 1.85 million head. That's up 4% from last year. Our projection is that uh, the cattle herd will likely contract further uh, in 2023. USDA economists say farmers told them they will retain 6% fewer replacement heifers, and about 5% fewer heifers are expected to calve, which leads to a 6% decline in beef production this year. And for that, experts are predicting steer prices to go up $15 per hundred above last year. Updating you on Mexico's plan to ban U.S. GMO corn by the year 2024, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack saying a dispute settlement request under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement is likely coming over the issue. Vilsack speaking during a news conference at the USDA Outlook Forum. He said the two sides are currently in an information sharing stage, which needs to occur, but he says the U.S. appears to be pursuing a case via USMCA on the matter. The U.S. Trade Representative Special Agriculture Negotiator Doug McCallop saying the U.S. is reviewing a response from Mexico and that there would be something coming, quote, soon. McCallum noting Mexico is granting approvals to applications for new genetically modified plant traits and said that Mexico appears interested in finding a solution. Could North Korea be running out of food for its people? Now, it's reported the country's leader presided over a major political conference dedicated to improving the farming sector. North Korea's official media said that the committee will meet for at least another day as members debate unspecified urgent tasks involving economic development. While experts have seen no signs of a famine in North Korea, they believe its current food shortage is the worst since Kim took power back in 2011. South Korean experts estimate North Korea is short around 1 million tons of grain, 
That's 20% of its annual demand after the pandemic disrupted both farming and imports from China. Wheat markets were down double digits to start the week. Michelle is back with a closer look next. And later, what's the secret to making an awesome beer? It may lie in Montana. We'll take you there in the country. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. While wheat may have taken a beating in the plains over the weekend, traders didn't seem impressed with wheat futures under pressure to start the week. Michelle Rook joins us once again with more in Markets Now. Monday was another tough down day in the grains. Kevin Dooling with KD Investors is joining us. In the wheat market, we continue to see fund liquidation. Why? You know, and the biggest part of the wheat trade is such a small market. And when you throw the kind of sell orders that come in across the hedge fund desk and the technical trade, it just breaks. I mean, fundamentally, we're about a dollar, dollar twenty below in Chicago, at least below the the, the world FOB lowest bid um, offers. So, you know, going forward, I, there's things I like. It's just we're in this technical washout, and you know, they're they're acquiring new new short positions and, until something spooks them. Um, you know, we're kind of stuck. So yeah, the charts look pretty rough here, Kevin. And that seems to be weighing on the corn market as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then, you know, corn, you know, I'm annoyed that it's starting to bleed off a little bit. It doesn't, I suppose it does, shouldn't surprise me, but you know, I felt like the export pace has picked up substantially since mid-December and we're running, you know, over USDA's projections since then, you know, we've got a long way to catch up with last year, but a lot of that's dialed in the reports already. So, you know, it, I guess it's going to come down to Brazilian weather. And so far, there's no major threats to that second corn yeah. crop. So we're going to bleed off a little. So is the corn market done technical damage here or did we hold support we needed to? The short term, short term looks tough. Um, looks like we've done some damage. Um, longer term, it looks like we could do a lot of damage if we're not careful. I'd really like to see us develop a floor somewhere in that 630 range. Okay. Um, and we'll see. And, and honestly, if you're a, you know, an end user of corn, I would think that would be a spot where, you know, you would want Quite to start getting some coverage. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, soybeans have held up better than corn and wheat, but how long do you think that can last, especially with Brazil's harvest coming on? You know, with that big up channel coming, I mean, it looks like it's about ready to give out to me. So I'm, I'm instructing my, my folks to, you know, let's get some stuff done. And, and, you know, the only stuff you hold from now on is what you wanted to hold into summer anyway. Otherwise, let's let's get it moved. Because I, like I say, why why would the Chinese continue to buy from us at this point and they can get Brazilian and, and uh, you know, we're going to run out of stocks the way it's going. So obviously the pace is going right. to slow way off for us. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Kevin Dooling with KD Investors and more Ag Days coming up. For a free two-month sample of Kevin's market analysis, or if you have a question of any kind, call 541-980-4554 or email kdinvestors at gmail.com. Peter, I'll just Chuck Heaver joining us here with our national forecast. And Chuck, we had a pretty active weekend. It sounds like that pattern may stick around here for a few days. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a much larger storm for later in the week, which could mean 
Snowfall, yes, for areas like Chicago. Okay, we're going up to the jet stream to take a look at what we can expect this week. It's going to be a pretty active week, actually. We're going to see several storms push across the country. This is the first one that's dipping down into the southwest. That's going to migrate its way across the area on Friday. And depending on the location and the track of that storm, it's going to indicate whether you're going to get snow or rain across the Midwest. The so Chicagoland area is going to be right on that line. That moves out. Then we go zonal. Then we get two amplifications on the east and west coast. So a lot of warm air will filter up in through the center part of the country. Okay, on Tuesday we have the storm on the east coast and that's going to dump a lot of snow. Then we have this little storm ejected off of the northern Rockies. That's going to provide a little bit of rain showers in the Chicagoland area. And then off on the west coast, yeah, LA's getting more rain. Can you believe that? And snow up in the mountains, definitely. And then down in the southeast along the frontal boundary, not out of the question as well. It's going to be windy in the northeast with all of that snow and we're going to see a lot of wind down in the southwest as well over the next couple days. And of course, wind over in the Los Angeles basin with that storm. So it's going to be a very active week. As I had mentioned, we're anticipating a lot of rain to pile up over in the Sierra Nevada range there. And then along that frontal boundary down in the southeast as well, two, three inches of rain is definitely not out of the question. And then, of course, up to the north where there's snowfall and it's colder, we're going to see some snow. And so you can see a lot of the snow uh, residual from the storm that uh, passed through today. But over time, you can see that build. And there's that storm on Friday and into Saturday that we're going to watch. And we're going to see where that snow line lines up because that could mean a pretty substantial snowfall for this part of the country. Of course, the Mountain West is going to see snows as well. Okay, here are the temperatures today. Look at this Tulsa 76 and down to the south, even in South Florida, 88 degrees, which is pretty incredible in the overnight hours. We're looking at much colder conditions up to the north and ah, tomorrow. Wait, is that a 75? Yes, in Cincinnati. All right, let's take a look closer to home. Here you go. Cloverdale, Alabama, mostly sunny 7655. Fortuna, North Dakota, partly sunny, 18 and 4. And Greenwich, Connecticut, 38 and 27 with a wintry mix. Still ahead, dairy producers appear to be upping their milk production. And later, we're off to Montana to celebrate all things ag in this week's Ag States of America. Ag Day is brought to you by Maristem Crop Performance. Learn how to get. Pulling cows appears to be one way dairy producers are dealing with negative margins, which allows them to manage cash flows and pay bills. Now, for the week ending January 28th, dairy cow slaughter exceeded 68,000 head. That's one of the biggest cull numbers ever for late January and comparable to only 2021 and the mid-1980s when the government offered herd buyouts. Now, for the first four weeks of this year, Serena Sharp of the Daily Dairy Report noted nearly 273,000 dairy cows were slaughtered, the most in over 35 years. The new USDA milk production report illustrated a more than 1% increase in milk production compared to January of last year. Following suit, cow numbers also showed growth with an increase of 38,000 additional head year over year. Now, Texas milk production growth has steadily grown over the last two decades. Last year, the Lone Star State pushed past Idaho and currently ranks number three for milk production. All right, up next, big farms and big skies. We're off to Montana.
What agricultural products make the state a leading producer? We'll break it down when the Ag States of America head to Big Sky Country in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. For this week's Ag States of America, we're heading to Big Sky Country. Charlie Barron seems excited about one aspect of Montana Ag, beer. Now, when you think of Montana, you probably think of the tourist destinations like Yellowstone, Glacier National Park, or the Continental Divide. But believe it or not, Montana's largest industry is agriculture, which contributes over $5 billion to the economy every single year. In other words, when it comes to the economy, you could call agriculture Montana's Old Faithful. Old Faithful is in Wyoming. Never mind. So what are they farming, you ask? I'll tell you. Cattle and calves lead the state's agriculture sector. At any given time, there are approximately 2.6 million head of beef cattle in Montana. That's approximately three cows to every one person, which equates to a whole lot of moolah. <laughs> See what I did there? Moo. Stick uh, to the script. I'll keep going, sure. Most of the crops grown in Montana are considered dry land crops. Coming in at number one is wheat. Farmers produce enough wheat to make Montana rank fourth nationally in overall production and third in certified organic wheat. Wheat is grown in almost every county in the state, but the largest production area is called the Golden Triangle area, located in Montana's north central region. And in addition to wheat, Montana grows hay and alfalfa to support the cattle industry. They also grow plenty of barley, which in tandem with the wheat has helped grow Montana's craft brewery industry. Now before prohibition, you know that time in American history when everyone stopped drinking, uh, there actually used to be a local brewery in every small town in Montana. Luckily, the state seems to be trending toward that direction again, so cheers to that. Now, all that said, specialty crops like hops prefer warmer, wetter climate. So in response to the big craft brewery demand, growers in Montana have found creative ways to grow hops profitably. Today, the state has over 80 licensed breweries, making Montana one of the biggest importers of beanies and beard balm. Charlie, that is judgmental brewers. They do not all have beards. They do not all have beanies. Most of them do though. Now, when you think of Montana agriculture, do you ever think of pulses? No, I'm not talking about the pulse you check when you're out of beer. I'm talking about the other meaning for pulse, which is a fancy catch-all word for edible dry peas, beans, lentils, and chickpeas. They fall under the legume family, but the word pulse specifically refers to legumes that are grown and harvested for their dry seed and grown as food. And Montana grows them all, especially lentils. In fact, Montana plants 670,000 acres of lentils each year, making it the top lentil producing state that's responsible for 40% of our nation's lentil supply. And because of it, our soups have never tasted better. And now it is time for the lentil lightning round about the legume we love. Which of the following is true about lentils? Lentils are one of the healthiest foods in the world. 
They can be black, yellow, green, brown, red, and orange. They originated in Central Asia. They are the oldest pulse crop known to man and one of the earliest domesticated crops. They were found in the tomb of the ancient Egyptians in 2400 BC. Optical lenses are named after the Latin word for them. If you just said all of the above, congratulations. You should be hosting the show. And if you didn't know, well, now you know. But don't thank me. Just tip your cowboy hat to the great state of Montana. All right. Thanks, Charlie. And that's all of our time this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day out in farm country.